Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, Nancy. Good morning, church. You guys up? You ready? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I am ready. So, um, yeah, I am ready to go. I've never said this before, a sermon, but um, <clears throat> you know, it's okay to giggle sometimes. I think today our sermon is going to be a little more lighthearted, and so um, don't 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 feel embarrassed if you giggle at some of, of some of the stuff that we talk about. Um, one, one of the great things about the Bible is that it covers the full spectrum of human experience. And so, you know, the good, the bad, um, you name it, work, it just covers every area of our lives. And so we're going to cover an area you might not think that the Bible typically covers this morning, but in fact it does. And um, sometimes it's a subject that can make us blush and a little giggly, and that's okay. And so I want to start by going back to uh, the spring of 1987, um, when I received my first Bible. And so I got my first Bible, uh, I believe it was from my mom, and, and that's great. Um, thank you, mom. But uh, she gave me the instructions to read a chapter every night. Read a chapter every night before I go to bed, which I started to do. I didn't understand any of it, but you know, I, I read the words. Um, now that same spring, I was in middle school, and I, I had this class that was, um, it was just called Human Life. And human life, it doesn't sound too intimidating, but I had to get a signature from my parents, right, to take this class. And so, yeah, it was a class about sex. And so I, I finished this class right before I started reading the book Song of Solomon. And so I read this book, and I remember going up to my mom and saying, like, Mom, why is there an entire book of the Bible that's about sex? And she said, no, there's not. There's no such book. That, that's not what the Bible is about at all. And I said, well, what about the song of... And before I could even finish the word, she was like, no, no, that, stop reading that book. Stop reading that book. That is not what it's about. It, it's an allegory. It's an allegory. Just stop reading it. Skip ahead. Just go to the book of John. Start reading the book of John. You do not have to read the Song of Solomon. So... Of course, I knew in that moment exactly what this book was about. Um, <clears throat> and so it, it's interesting, and I think like, kind of funny. Um, this, this scene is played out all throughout history. All throughout history, people have had this argument. Um, people have said, whoa, this book is spicy. Like, this is in the Bible? This is like, you're talking about like law and covenant, and then you have this book? This is really intense. Why, why, is, this, why is this in Scripture? What's going on here? I mean, this can't possibly be what it appears to be. Like, this is pillow talk, right? This is, this, is, this, is, this is pillow talk and romantic love letters. And so off and on for generations, people have tried to, to allegorize this book, Song of Solomon. And I should say, if you haven't gone to the Song of Solomon yet, um, feel free to make your way towards that book. That'll be our book this morning. And so people um, have tried to allegorize it and say this can't mean what it means. And so one of the arguments throughout history has been, well, it's about God. It's about God's love for his people. But I think that just makes it so much more awkward. If you've ever read it, it just, it just can't possibly make sense. Now, now, one of the most notorious allegories being 
um, whenever uh, breasts are mentioned, that's only time I'm going to say that word, um, in the Bible, or in the Song of Solomon, that it's talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is absurd. Like, how can you, you can't wrap your mind, there's no way that could possibly mean that. It's not an allegorical book. It's a book about passionate human love. Like, this is a book about human love, right? Human to human. And so this week, uh, because tomorrow is Valentine's Day, right? So this is Valentine's Day Eve. Uh, Because this week we talked about marriage and submission, um, you know, in our community groups, right? This week we talked about marriage. I think it's just the perfect time to talk about this. And to be frank, I've never heard a sermon on the Song of Solomon, I don't know about any of you, and it's, you know, one of the things we're going to look at this morning is, is why? Why is that? Um, and so, yeah, we'll go through it a little bit. It's going to make us blush a little bit. It's going to be okay. Um, but God gave us this book for a reason, and, and, and it's such a joy. And so in this, yeah, we're going to look at first, why don't people ever talk about this book? Why don't people preach out of this book? Um, but also the nature of flirtation, right? Romance. Um, marriage, love, and sex. They all, they all take place in this book, the Song of Solomon. And I do believe that this points, because all Scripture is about Jesus, as Jesus said, all Scripture points to something about me. I do believe this is Jesus' heart for marriage, and it points to, to us actually being married to Christ in the future. So our sermon title, title today is Pomegranate Cheeks, Love and Marriage in Song of Solomon. So let me start by praying for us. Lord, I'm so thankful that uh, your word, it doesn't, <clears throat> uh, it doesn't villainize parts of our lives, Lord, that sometimes I think we feel ashamed of or embarrassed about because they're so passionate, Lord. And so um, I ask as we go through this book that we realize that you care about love and that you care about marriage and you certainly um, have some ideas and expectations about it and you gave it in wisdom to Solomon and so um, by your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you give us wisdom in handling this book? And uh, yeah, if we giggle and have joy in it, Lord, that, that is awesome, Lord. Let, let us receive that in Christ as well, Lord. So be honored, Lord, as we go through, through this book, which is rarely gone through, Lord. Amen. All right, you guys ready? Nope, you guys ready? Mm. All right, I'm not ready. I was trying to buy time. Um, <clears throat> So one of the reasons we know um, what this book is about is the fact that in its Jewish context, um, the way that that it was handled, I will not take a step back, Um, the way that it was handled. And so um, it was not treated as allegory. It was taken very seriously. Um, This is a romantic courtship between King Solomon and his first his first wife, this Egyptian. Like, this is their love story. This is absolutely um, a love story. Um, on the other hand, it was considered to be mature. Like, obviously, um, little kids were not allowed to read this book. And so, um, you know, even, even in the early, you know, synagogues as Israel met, they still had a children's church. They still had a little children's church. Um, and so they, they wouldn't study this. Little kids would study Proverbs. I don't know if you realize that, but the Proverbs were taught to children. And so, so practical. So the children would learn the Proverbs, but once you get to an age like, kind of like in our society, like fifth grade or so, you would tackle this subject. So you had to be a little bit older, a little more mature, because this is about um, human desire and passion. And so you had to be just a tad bit older. You know, I mean, the unfortunate thing, you know, in our society is that our kids are exposed to so much more than this right? And so much younger. So believe me when I say, I thought about this, I prayed about this, 
And we're not going to go into anything that's really spicy, but prayerfully, I don't, I don't think that this should be a problem for anybody here. And so, um, this past week, we talked about, in our community groups, uh, the book of Ephesians, right? And the biblical expectation for marriage. It's laid out in Ephesians how marriage is supposed to work. And so, in light of that, I'm going to move this forward a little bit. Um, consider the Song of Solomon to be the prequel to the book of Ephesians. Even though they're written hundreds, I'm trying to think of it's thousands, I think it's, uh, it might be a thousand, thousand years apart. And so Song of Solomon's a prequel to Ephesians in that before you get to Ephesians, before you're arguing about um, submission or who's going to take out the trash or where our kids are going to go to school, any of that sort of stuff, before that happened, you were enamored with your object of love, right? Before Ephesians conversation, this is where you were, right? All googly-eyed over your, your object of love. Now, this is also one of the reasons this book is ignored. I've never heard a sermon out of this book. It's because it, it is explicit in its, in its metaphor. And so, again, we're not going to read those this morning, um, but if you have any sort of imagination, it's intense. Like, it is very intense. You will blush. You're going to be like, what? What, what is going on here? Like, 90% of this book it, it is a, a metaphor of a physical relationship. Second, you don't hear from the Song of Solomon because God is not mentioned in it. And so how do you preach from a book of the Bible where God isn't mentioned, right? There's only two books where God isn't mentioned directly. And so what I, what I would counter with is, well, we know who Solomon is and we know that God gave him wisdom, right? He gave Solomon the most wisdom ever. And so Solomon is going to portray this wisdom, give us this wisdom from God. And so what I see is God's heart, even though it's not saying God said this, God gave this wisdom to Solomon. Solomon is giving this to people. In the Jewish community, this was considered one of the most awesome books. You know, in fact, sometimes it's called um, Song of Songs. Like, this is the jam of jams. Like, this is the book. Like, we will fight for it. It is so, so important. Now, what we find here, I believe, is God's, God's, um, or God's heart for marriage and that it shouldn't be dry or mechanical or transactional, but that it should be passionate, right? None of this is frowned upon. This is all celebrated. All this language is celebrated, desire and passion. I do believe in this love, we see God's love for us as well, not allegorically, but passionately. Like what does passionate love look like, right? Passionate love drives us to do incredible things, right? To make ourselves stick out, grand gestures, right? Passion-driven love. Now, I like the way Dr. Richard S. Hess best sums up the Song of Solomon and its place in Scripture. He says, The song fills a necessary vacuum in the Scriptures because it endorses sex and celebrates it beyond all expectation. Although abuse is possible and to be avoided, sex is not inherently evil, nor is it limited to a procreative function. Instead, sex enables an experience of love whose intensity has no parallel in this cosmos and serves as a signpost to point to a greater love that lies beyond it. Isn't that incredible? Right? Like, it's, it's such a blessing. And, and I think most of the hard part of this sermon we got through um, he's saying sex over and over. So I think we got through most of that and we're okay. So now we're going to continue about, because it mentions other things we're going to look at besides this. 
And the first thing we're going to look at, and this is going to be more of a survey um, through this book just to kind of get us to see what it says. And now that you know, maybe you can go through uh, with your partner and read this and kind of figure out um, what it means, what it says. And so the first thing we're going to look at is courtship. And we find this in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. So if you want to find chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, we will find uh, courtship. And this is the time before we get married. And so this morning, maybe you're a teenager, um, younger, or maybe just not married. This is you. And so I'm speaking to you right now. We live in a society that wants instant gratification. There's really no courtship. And so we see this in movies. Uh, Movies I like. I I like my rom-coms. We've talked about this. Um, but, But it's so immediate. It's like Hallmark movies, right? Where it's like you bump into somebody at the Christmas tree lot, and you're like, you like Christmas, I like Christmas. Oh, we must be soulmates. You know, it's like, no, no, you know, but, but, but it's very um, immediate. You know, it's like uh, the Cinderella cartoon where she's so, you know, hidden away for so long. The first guy she meets, she hears like three words and she's like, oh, I'm totally in love. Like my whole life is about this relationship now. And I think we find this in our society as well. Uh, maybe a parallel being that m- much of our youth, you know, is so focused on being on screens, right? Um, being entertained that the first time that we come into actual contact and have an actual conversation in the physical, like an actual interaction, we completely fall for somebody, right? Our emotions go crazy because we don't know how to deal with them because we're used to texting people and showing videos. So as soon as you smell somebody and see somebody eye to eye, everything goes out the window. But that's not what we find in the Song of Solomon. In fact, it's, it's very much the opposite. Most of the song is is flirting and hanging out and crying out like, God, please, like I want to be married already, but also not engaging, right, in stuff that's for marriage. And so they wait um, and they keep pure. Now, during this time, I think like a lot of us, especially I do believe here that that they are very young, but it's kind of awkward, right? It's kind of some awkward flirting going on. And we see this in in verse 6. And, and this is um, the lady speaking, the young Egyptian girl. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. And so this woman, she seems like a little embarrassed because she's super suntanned, right? And so um, she's like, my brothers are so annoying. They made me do all their chores for them. I mean, you could just hear, right? Like, like this, this teenager speaking, oh my gosh, it's so annoying. You have no idea how annoying this is. And she's like, don't look at me. I don't look my best. But we know from the rest of the book, she knows she's pretty. And so in a sense, she's saying, oh, don't look at me. I'm such a mess. But she's also flipping her hair and saying like, don't stop looking at me, right? And then, and then from there she goes, she makes her move in verse 7, try, try to make it a date now. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, very innocent and pure, Um, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veals herself beside the flocks of your companions? And so basically, she's like, well, I work outside. You work outside. If you tell me where you're going to be, we might get close together. Maybe it'll be a date. Like, we'll just be at the same place at the same time. We can call it a date. And notice, all this takes place in public, right? So this is... 
This is in public. They're talking about a lunch break. They're talking about being amongst their coworkers at noon in the middle of day. This is not secretive. This is not hookup culture. This is not late at night in a back room. This is like, hey, let's hang out in front of everybody. And they're going to annoy everybody because they're going to be flirting with each other. They might be a little cute, but I mean, they're, they're just going to be flirting out in public with each other. Then we have his reply in verse 8. If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside, beside the shepherd's tent. And so it's on. Like, it's on. And so this is before GPS, and this is when you tell somebody, if you want to find me, like, follow the trail of, of the goats, and you'll probably, you'll probably find me. And so, in addition to calling her most beautiful, again, a not, not derogatory, not an inappropriate online statement, just beautiful, he adds in verse 9, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, who doesn't love a good metaphor? Right? I mean, women, honestly, how much do you long for, for, your, for your husband or the man you're courting to say that, that you remind him of a horse? You know, but that's what I love about, you know, beauty, the beauty and innocence and creativity of love and passion and poetry. And it's just like, I want you to know that you're awesome. I want to tell you how awesome you are. You remind me of everything that's awesome. And so I think horses are awesome. So you remind me of a horse. And so it's just so innocent and respectful and I think very fun and playful. And I absolutely love it. Now, my favorite one, you don't have to go all the way over there. In chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Now, to me, that is the cutest pickup line ever. And so it, maybe if you're not married yet, you could pull that one out. But um, I just think that's so, totes adorbs, right? And so whether you are a male or a female, do not be embarrassed that you have feelings for the opposite sex. It is a gift from God. Like, it is an absolute gift from God. These feelings that you have, they can make you the best version of yourself. Like, take those emotions and make the most of yourself, right? Don't be embarrassed about them. Make yourself presentable. Make yourself someone who can attract that opposite-sex person. Um, it doesn't say here that being flirty or giving compliments is bad. Not at all. You should totally do it. But it also, it's about respecting yourself giving yourself space. Don't, don't make a date, you know, in the back of the bushes. It says, like, let's hang out in the middle of the day. So keeping the respect, being super flirty, right? Super, you know, even a little steamy, but also do it respectfully. You, you, you can do both. And so that time before you get married, you can communicate affection and intent, but you can't consummate that. You can't come together yet. And that's what we see uh, throughout this book. If you do it any differently, it doesn't work and it's sin. You know, you could have an awesome relationship and have it be destroyed if you do things the wrong way, and not to mention it destroys your relationship with God. And so let me encourage you who can to share your love stories with your children. Share your love stories with your children. The good ones, the bad ones, right? The good and the bad ones, they need to hear this from us. You know, talk about times you blew it, right? Like, you know, let's share all, like, how we done dating wrong. Let, let's share about the times where we gave in too easily. And you're like, I regret, I regret giving in too easily. 
You know, I, I realize that it's a little embarrassing, but the world has no problem bombarding um, our youth with, with this idea of what relationships could mean, you know, or should mean. And it's not wholesome. You know, it, it's not productive. It's not going to help them at all. And so um, I just encourage you t- to speak into our children. Um, don't put up a, a veil or a picture of having a perfect marriage because they know that we don't. But be very honest about them, about the decision you've made, how you came to be with your partner, um, what you love and respect about them, and, and let them know, yeah, things are hard. You know, we have this discussion a lot. Things are hard, but here's what gets us through it. Yes, the romance. Yes, I was attracted to mom or dad, um, but here, here is how we got through it in Christ or didn't get through it. And so we have all this information, I think, that we can't be shy about passing down to our children And so as we move on, let's go to chapter 3, and we're going to see um, marriage. So we have two chapters of just complimenting each other um, over and over. They are madly in love. We get it. Um, But we get to chapter 3, and in verses 1 through 5, it talks about this dream of the bride. So this bride is dreaming. I don't know if she, I think she's daydreaming um, from the way it's written. And basically she's saying like, oh my gosh, I so want to be married already. I can't contain myself. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to contain myself, but man, I, I just really want to be, be with this man. And then it ends in verse 5, though. Like, her ending conclusion is, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And again, she's saying, like, wait till marriage. <laughs> like, yes, this is very difficult, but wait till marriage. Don't start a fire you can't put out until you can start a fire you don't have to put out, right? That, that's the fun part about marriage. You don't, it, it doesn't have to become a fire, right? Or, or it's a fire you don't have to put out. And then in verses 6 through 8, it says, What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, and all the fragrant powders of a merchant? Behold, it is a litter of Solomon. Around it are sixty mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. And so here we have the procession of the groom, like this big, this big deal, like this big flex, right? And so what he's doing is he's showing that he's ready to be a man, right? He's showing he's ready to be a man. He's showing he can protect her. Right? Like, look at I have all these dudes. I've made something of myself. This is not the guy who, who was leading goats around earlier. This is now the guy showing, like, his authority and that he's ready to be married and to protect her. Now, again, I think this is a step that we skip in society where, you know, and, and you can point fingers both directions where, you know, we need to tell guys, like, make something of yourselves. Like, make something. Make it. Make, a big deal about yourselves. Be somebody who is going to be able to draw in that love interest, right? Be something, like show that you can provide, show that you can protect. And likewise, um, women, like don't settle. Don't settle just for somebody who's got the words, right? There's a lot of guys who, could, who can write a Song of Solomon to you. But there's not a lot of guys who can provide for you, you know, provide protection for you and love you and provide for you the way that you need. And so from there, Solomon, uh, he shows off his wheels because girls dig the wheels, right? Girls dig the wheels. And so Solomon, it says in verses 9 and 10, he made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. 
He made, it po- he made its posts of silver, its back of gold, its seats of purple, its interior was inlaid with the love of the daughters of Jerusalem. So he shows up to his wedding in style, best day of his life. He finally gets to, to be with his love, right? This awesome moment. He finally gets to be together with her, and it's celebrated in verse 11. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. And so the wedding day is the day of the gladness of his heart. And so this book, it's about, you know, it's a, it's a lot of it's about pre-marriage. It's about, it's about romance, you know, it's about flirting and being steamy. Um, but I also want to take a moment, especially in light of our community groups this week, to talk about what marriage is or how, how should it function ideally once you get beyond this point, flirting done, like you have signed the paper, you've gone through the stresses of a wedding and all, and all the celebration of a wedding, you know, but what's it supposed to look like? And so Jason K. Allen from the book we were reading uh, this week, it said, he says, biblical marriage is the covenantal uh, conjugal union between one man and one woman for life. And so a dedication of physical and emotional intimacy, right? Very important. But also there's a commitment. Like your partners, like you, you guys, like you guys are on a, on a journey, right? And, and the whole point of marriage is you're forming, forming this partnership to go on this journey. And where are you going to go? What's the point of the journey of marriage? It's to get you to another marriage, right? The point of getting married is to get you to the next ultimate eternal marriage, and I, I, we have this quote by Timothy Keller in the book, The Meaning of Marriage, which is my favorite book on marriage. He says this, Within this Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and to get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your uh, magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got a glimpse of it on earth, but, but now look at you. And isn't that the heart of it? I mean, that, that's what we should be aiming for. And that's also why I would say those of you who are not married yet, make sure that you marry a believer. Like marry a, someone who believes because you are on a journey somewhere. You guys are on a journey somewhere when you are married. You want to make sure it is to the throne of God. I love the way Keller says that. And we will also see in a few minutes, you know, what it looks like if, if you are not married to somebody um, who, who's headed the same direction as you. And so I want to continue reading just to the next verse um, after the wedding. I think this is really important for us. Um, so in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, after they're married, what do you do? So Solomon says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veal. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Oh, yeah. Right? (laughs) Man, so good. And so what do we see here right after marriage? Solomon's on to something. You keep complimenting. You keep pursuing. His game doesn't let up at all. You know, he doesn't say like, okay, cool, make me a sandwich. You know, no. He's like, oh, you're so beautiful. You are so beautiful. And so that's, that's what we need to do. And so 
um, for those of us who are married, like don't forget that passion that brought you together. Pursue. In fact, I have homework for you. I have some homework. So three steps to this homework assignment. One is, is to go out on a date. So, um, you know, if you have a spouse and they haven't wanted to go on a date, um, now you just say Pastor James said and text me if they say no. So I, I will deal with this. Um, so yeah, go out on a date, uh, share, share something, um, share some pasta, maybe get like the, the lady in the tramp moment going, try to find one piece together, um, maybe a shake with two straws. And so go out on a date. Second part of this is remember your pet names and your nicknames. Remember pet names and nicknames. Everyone that you guys gave each other. And even talk about it. Like, why did you call me that? Do you miss calling calling each other that. Hey, you know, why not add one to that? It's like, I haven't given you a nickname in a while. And so maybe think about what that new, new nickname would be. And then third, start holding hands again, right? Start holding hands again. This, this, is, about, this is about romance. This is about love. And so here's what I can tell you when, when I meet a lot, of, a lot of parents who are stressed out, um, couples who are stressed out, especially parents, is is, you know, you go through a season, and this is true and important, where you do let go of holding hands because you have to hold the hands of your kids, right? But what I find is typically the season where you should let go of the hand of your kids passes, and we don't let go of their hands. And so we have, you know, teenagers or young adults still being held by their hand, and it's frustrating a relationship. And let me just encourage you to say, let go of their hand and grab the hand of your spouse again. And if you're concerned about your children, then just pray for them. You have your hands together, pray for them. But make sure you start holding hands again. You know, even, even if it makes your kids uncomfortable. I'm not going to share any stories. And so, um, something else we find, I think it's so interesting and helpful in the Song of Solomon, um, is this term, um, this warning, beware the foxes, or beware of the foxes. And here's, here's this warning <clears throat> In chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. And so Solomon knows he has something special, and he knows it has to be protected. And foxes were known for destroying stuff. I mean, that's just, you know, yes, they're cute and fluffy. You know, they're like dog cats. They're just awesome. But they destroy everything. And so Solomon is saying, like, please don't let foxes into what we have. It's too good to be destroyed. And so what he's saying is don't let anything be a stumbling block. Don't let anything be something that could stop your romantic destiny. Like, don't let anything get in the way of it. You know, whether it's not waiting till marriage to be intimate or being unfaithful during marriage or rooting for for different teams, whatever it may be, don't let anything get in the way of what God has given you. And here's the truth, though. And we don't see in this book. So if you only have the Song of Solomon, you're like, oh, this is the best couple ever. Oh, this guy is great and he's rich and he writes, you know, good poems. Um, But here's what we know about Solomon um, from 1 Kings. So in 1 Kings 11... Uh, Chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, it says this. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. And the daughter of Pharaoh is who Song of Solomon's about. Daughter of Pharaoh, he only has one girl at that point. But then after that, he has Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. 
from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And so that's the reality, right? That, that is what actually isn't in that book, but this is what actually happened, you know, in volume two. You know, Solomon used to have 100% of love for one girl, you know, and that same girl becomes one one-thousandth of, of who he loves all of a sudden. And, and he does love them, but they all have these other gods. And so they change his heart. And he, Solomon, uh, these women bring Solomon after other gods. And so he wants to please them. So he builds them temples, high places, gives them gifts. And he turns his back on God. God turns his back on Solomon. And so everything is destroyed. And Solomon had everything. He had everything. He had all the wisdom. And so he had the wisdom, right? You flirt with the one, you know, you fight for the one, you marry the one, you know, you walk with the one towards the Lord, towards the throne. And he knew it and he blew it. Like he blew it. That's what we know about Solomon. It cost him everything. His relationship with God, his fortune, um, his family, everything is ruined because he didn't listen to his own song, his own jam that he wrote. And so the greatest love story becomes the greatest cautionary tale. Beware of the foxes. And it's interesting that in this, um, in the life of Solomon, we see a strong correlation between um, our relationships, um, you know, with, with the opposite sex and our relationship with God. A correlation. As a healthy marriage points to our relationship, you know, between Jesus and the church, uh, human love points to the love of God, the fact that God loved us enough to create us and give us love, which is just a common grace, and there's no, like, you know, Darwinian, for lack of a better expression, purpose to it. Like, it's a gift, just, just like music and smells and beauty, right? It's an absolute gift from God. But here's the deal. For, for many people, Valentine's Day is not romantic, fun, or sweet. It's, it's a very difficult time, frustrating, hurtful, uh, many of us have not had a Song of Solomon season at all, or maybe that season's over, and, and it's depressing. And for whatever reason, um, this is not a good season to, to be in a relationship or not be in a relationship. And I'll just tell you, my heart breaks for you. I pray for you. I really do. But I think here's where it's important to understand the greatest love of all, because human passionate love is not the greatest love of all. It's great, but it is not the greatest of all. The greatest love in the world is the love of God. And this is true for all of us. All of us here, this is true about God, but I hope it's even more comforting for those who are in a season where it's not a great relationship season. And there are some of us who are there. And so five reasons I think the love of God is the best. And these are just five reasons. I mean, there's entire thick books about how awesome God's love is, but here's just five. One, he sings over you. He sings over you. So Solomon sung a song, and he forgot the lyrics to it, right? And, are, you know, they, they just lost their meaning, um, but God doesn't do that. And so it says in Zephaniah 3.17, 
The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Did you guys know that verse existed? It's a crazy verse, man. Like one thing we know about scriptures, God loves music, heaven, everybody's singing. It's so loud and I hope that brings you comfort. And I don't know, we don't know what kind of music it is. Maybe, you know, um, for you, you just imagine God singing over you with harps and angels and it's very loving. I know for me, like, I just like thinking about like the, the true angels with all the, the eyeballs spinning and flames. And like, I, I, I like to think that God is singing like this metal song over me, but that's just me. But it just excites me that God is like loving you. Like he's quieting you. He's singing so loudly in love that it quiets you because it's so loving towards you and it's about you. And so I, I hope that that, that excites you. <clears throat> Secondly, uh, he has a tattoo with your name. And that's the one thing you don't do. Like, I don't care how in love you are with anybody. You don't get a name. Why? Because you never know. You never know. You don't get somebody's name tattooed. But, but God knows. And so it says in Isaiah 49, 16, Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. And so is God committed or What? Like he's singing, you know, he's got your name written on him. Third, he is your hero. In 1 John 4.10 it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, in theological terms, propitiation is the most beautiful, sweetest word you can possibly hear, right? That means that the sacrifice of Jesus was accepted. But it was acceptable. It's not maybe it was good enough. It's like, yes, it was completely accepted, acceptable. And so this God whose heart we broke, right? The God who loves us, we broke his heart. He takes the brunt of his wrath towards us in Christ. And so we have Jesus, right? Standing in that way of that wrath. And so we have Jesus being our hero, right? Singing songs, having our name written, coming, saving us, saving us. And I think fourthly, this one is huge. He helps you in your weakness by interceding for you. And, and we've, some of us are here and I've been here. Sometimes life is very hard, relationships especially, um, breakups, separations, whatever that looks like. It is so hard. I, I remember being in those positions and not only not being able to think, but to breathe, to communicate. And certainly like, what do you even pray for? You have no idea. It is just so overwhelming. And yet in Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so in our pain, wherever, wherever we're at in, in our pain, God is with us, right? The Holy Spirit is not only with us, but like in our spirit, in our mind, in our heart, groaning, like sad. Like God's not saying get over it. God is like, I'm right there with you. I am crying with you. I am praying for you because you don't even know what to pray for. 
And so again, I hope that comforts you that all this is taking place and you just have to know it's taking place. You don't have to do anything. Just know that spirit is inside of you, loving you, crying with you and praying out to God for you. And lastly, you know, he, he will love you forever. He will marry you and, and it will last forever. And this is the marriage that's never going to disappoint. Even great marriages, there's moments, man. It just, you know, it disappoints, let's be honest. You know, but we, we have a groom that will be faithful, fight for you, has died for you, who now lives for you, intercedes for you, you know, in the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And we see this in Revelation 19, 6 through 9 which is the hope of the church. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. That's us. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. You know, I like that last part as well. Like, you need to know this is true. This is, this is so true, right? The angel's like, just please know this is, that this is absolutely true, that this marriage is going to happen. In fact, when we gather here on Sunday mornings, as I've said before, like this is just a picture of the day when we're all going to be together with billions, trillions of other people as the bride of Christ. And we're going to experience bliss. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Um, I can't think of the verse, but there's even a verse that says um, that God has new names for us as well. You know, so we have our names in the book of life, Lamb's book of life. He has new names he's going to give us. We're going to see Christ face to face. We're going to be able to see each other see Christ face to face. And so we can like high five each other. It's like, isn't this awesome? Yeah, I long for that day. Um, But just speaking, you know, practically also today in the church, we need to be aware of those um, in our community who are going through rough times, right? And so know who's going through rough relationship times so that we can minister to them. You know, our, our, our relationships, wherever they are, um, in, in a good place, um, whatever resources we have and time we have, we're supposed to minister to each other. And so know who among us needs that extra care and attention during this time. Valentine's Day is not all fun and sweet for everybody. And so lastly, I just want to summarize, because I think we hit on, on several <laughs> different topics this morning. Um, what, what's the uh, um, Song of Solomon about? What's this book about? It's a steamy, passionate, sometimes funny, like romantic love letter, right? It's about courtship, you know, and marriage, and complimenting each other. And then singles. Being attracted to the opposite sex is fine. It's awesome. It's a gift completely embrace that. It's okay to talk sweetly. It's okay to write poetry, like crazy poetry, but just make sure that you keep yourselves pure and look at this idea of, of courtship and hold, hold out till marriage. Make sure you're looking for somebody who's going to be on the same journey as you, right? Get the right person, take the time to make sure they're the right person, and then just completely go for it and celebrate that. Married, Journey together. 
You're on a journey together. Pet names, bring them out, right? It's Valentine's Day tomorrow. Bring out the pet names, hold hands, tell your kids about your love, tell your kids about your love for God. Uh, protect, right, from the foxes. Protect our marriages, our relationships from anything, and I mean anything. Do not make a big deal out of things that are not a big deal that can hurt our marriage. Remember that Song of Solomon moment where everything was about that person. And lastly, remember that God's love is best. It's not even close. God's love is best. There's no greater expression of love than Jesus' coming, his life, death, and resurrection was the best, right? God sings over you, has your name engraved, he saves you, uh, he mourns with you and prays for you, and he longs for the day where he can be with you forever. So let me pray for us, church. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.